This morning we have Tim preaching, so we're going to pray for him. It's his uh, first time, hey, preaching here? Uh, yeah, after about three years of talking about it. <laughs> so Tim uh, is going to preach this morning. He's carrying on part of the series that uh, we're looking at in, in Titus. But uh, let's just pray for him, won't you? Just, if you're comfortable, just extend your hand as we just pray for him. There we go. Father, we thank you for Tim. We thank you for his faithfulness to you. We thank you for the diligence he, he's put in with prep. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and anoint every word he speaks. Father, I pray for clarity of thinking and sensitivity to your leading. Lord, we open our hearts to hear what you would have us hear through him this morning. But God, I pray that you would anoint him this morning as he preaches your word, that you would encourage him and that we would be transformed by what you have, would bring through him. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> anyway. Oh, there we go. Now I can hear myself very loud. <laughs> Good morning. Um, yeah, so we're carrying on the uh, series in Titus. So today we're going to be looking at uh, Titus 2, verses 9 to 10. Um, and so I'm going to read, actually I'm going to read from verse 7, um, just so I think it just adds a bit um, of extra context to it. So it says, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the, in- uh, the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. And then verse, from verse 9, Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive in every way. Um, So this morning I'm going to be talking about being a Christian in the workplace. Um, So not exactly slaves, but but the principles are still kind of there. Um, So if you want a a title, I know some people like titles. So the title for this morning is Making God Attractive in the Workplace. so I'm aware that not everybody here uh, works um, for various reasons. Um, some are too young to work, uh, some are not too old, have retired, have done enough work already, and have decided that they don't need to do any more. <laughs> uh, some people can't work, some people uh, don't need to work, um, for various reasons. So, but I just wanted to say that because um, a lot of what we've looked at in Titus so far has been speaking about specific kind of roles and responsibilities, but actually the principles in, in Titus really are apl- applicable to, to everyone. It's not just kind of for, for people that are in the work. So don't, if you don't work, don't switch off. It is still hopefully going to be helpful. Um, I'm also aware that people work in quite a wide variety of workplaces. So um, what I'm going to speak about, really you'll need to take away and just kind of think about how that's going to apply in your workplace, how it applies with your employer, because I know there are different kind of expectations, different pressures, different things that people do. Um, but yeah, so as I said, it's just, it is all just applicable to kind of general Christian living, so don't, yeah, don't switch off, um, and yeah, even if my voice does bore you, that's okay. <laughs> so just to give you some context about myself, I work in an office. Um, I do have the ability to work from home if I, if, I, if, I, if I need to. I've recently changed jobs, so at the moment I'm not working from home purely because I don't know enough about my job to do that. Um, so I'm working in the office full-time at the moment. I work 9 to 5.30, so just that's the kind of context that I'm coming from. So, um, but obviously, as I said, I know people do different things. Um, but it's been quite interesting because I've just recently changed jobs and James had asked me to preach on this. It's been really kind of challenging for me to actually look at my new workplace, look at the expectations and the culture there, and look at the biblical principles about work and actually what things I've needed to do 
to change. So I've been in the same job for nearly 10 years, and I've probably got quite comfortable in my job. Um, and I think sometimes comfort doesn't always, uh, doesn't always help um, when actually kind of trying to do things the right way. Um, so I also just wanted to cover a few kind of basic things about work. Um, firstly, work is a gift from God. Um, we might not always see it like that, but it is. Um, the very, in the very first, kind of at the beginning of Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, God took Adam and put him in a garden to work and keep it. So it's right at the beginning of the Bible. In fact, even before that, God works to actually create the world, to create the universe. So we know that, that's, that it is a gift from God. The Bible also tells us that if the work is something that we can do, then we should. It's not, um, you know, if we don't need to, that's fine. But 2 Thessalonians has quite a stark kind of... Uh, warning for people about that. It says, don't, and basically tells us not to support those people who can work, um, but choose not to and can't support themselves. So actually, if we can work and we're able to work, then we should. Um, work can be hard. It's not always easy. Um, after the fall in Genesis 3, um, it speaks of painful toil. It speaks of um, the ground producing thorns and thistles and man doing things by the sweat of his brow. So it's not always easy. Work's not always easy. Um, but it's also not unfamiliar to God. As I said, God created the world with his hands, and we know that Jesus, before his ministry, was worked as a carpenter. So we know that it's not unfamiliar to God. But it's also something that God, I think, has set a pattern for and some principles for right from the beginning in Genesis. So from that part in Genesis 2, verse 15, the words that it uses in some of the translations is that God, was, that God put Adam in the garden to cultivate and to maintain it. And in Genesis 1, um, they're commanded to subdue the earth and to rule over it. So from that, there are kind of the four things from that I just wanted to raise were cultivate speaks about growth and improvement. So in our workplace, there should be kind of growth and improvement. Um, maintaining speaks of protecting from failure and decline. So we should be diligent and actually take care of our work. Um, to subdue is to exercise control and discipline. So again, we should be controlled and disciplined in our work. And to rule is to administer and take responsibility for. So it's something that we need to do in our workplace, actually to take responsibility for the things that we've been asked to do. Um, in the context of this scripture, obviously it's talking about slaves, just so that you're aware. Um, they reckon that about a third of Roman citizens at the time were slaves. Um, about another third had been slaves previously. Um, some were voluntary, but most were actually just in a position, a permanent position of service. So they didn't have a choice about it. Um, they didn't have many rights, and they're actually just the property of another Roman citizen. So in this, in this context, it's talking about people who didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice about where they worked, who they worked for, or what they did. So actually, the thing that I want to think about is if that's the commandment that you know, is being given to people that are slaves and don't have a choice, how much more kind of do we need to actually be diligent and um, careful about how we do our work when we have a choice? I, for broadly speaking, most people have a choice about where they work, who they work for, um, when they work, you know, that kind of thing. So really, we don't have an excuse for not doing things well. The overall kind of theme in Titus is actually just doing good for the sake of the gospel. So the key thing that I want to, people to, to think about as we go through this is the last part, is that last verse where it says, then they will make the teaching about God our saviour attractive in every way. So the whole point of this is not to kind of tell you how to do your job, tell you how to do your job well, but actually it's, we need to remember that when we're in our workplaces, the, the, the main focus is that we should be trying to make the teaching of God attractive in every way. So people should be drawn to God, in our, um, our colleagues should be drawn to God because of the things that we do, the way that we do them and the attitude that we have. So I split this into three A's, just to make it a bit catchy. Um, so the three A's are authority, attitude, and action. So I'm going to start with authority. I'll just a brief, little bit brief bit about that. So verse 9 says, slaves must always obey to their masters. Um, in some translations, it's not obey, it's submit to. Um, 
So, we, as I said, we're not exactly slaves to masters. I hope not, anyway, in our workplaces. It might feel like that sometimes. But, um, but the point is, is that we need to submit to the authority in our workplace. There is authority in our workplace. You're, I mean, obviously, if you work for yourself, that's slightly different. But we still need to, in our workplaces, be submitted to, to the authority that is there. Um, but submitting to authority doesn't just mean always doing everything that's asked of you. Ultimately, the authority that we need to be submitted to is God. So if your workplace is asking you to do something that actually is asking you to compromise the integrity of your faith, then obviously we don't do it. But the point of being submitted is that we then have to accept the consequences of that, of that decision. Um, you know, it's, uh, we see in Acts 5, the apostles were set free from prison, having been kind of thrown in there for talking about Jesus. Uh, they were set free miraculously, uh, immediately kind of went off and preached, brought back before the council of the um, elders and the high priests, um, were told off quite, um, quite sternly, and, but their, their response was, we must obey God, not men. It wasn't a, <clears throat> sorry, we'll stop doing that. It was, no, we have to obey God, we don't obey men, and they were beaten for it. And their response to that was to go off rejoicing. So... <laughs> I don't think I'd necessarily be rejoicing about being uh, flogged or beaten, but actually the point was they were, they were rejoicing because they were found worthy of um, being persecuted for their faith. So we need to be um, kind of willing to accept the consequences and actually know that we've done the right thing by God. Ultimately, God is the highest authority, so we need to submit to him. So that's authority. I don't want to kind of spend too much time on that. Um, <clears throat> the next part I want to go through is attitude. So in verse 9, it says, Slaves must always obey the masters and do their best to please them. So the part is to do their best to please them. Um, so that's kind of, if we're doing our best to please them, that's more than just doing the bare minimum. Um, you know, in our jobs, we probably, most people have got job descriptions or they've got a, a, you know, a job a worksheet that they know what they're supposed to do. Um, but actually, to do our best to please somebody is to actually to go above and beyond that. It's to do what we've been asked to do to the best of our ability um, and to do things excellently. Um, but it also goes beyond what we do. It's our whole attitude towards our work, towards our workplace, our colleagues. So it's our demeanour. It's how approachable we are, and that includes before you've had your first cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> Not looking at anyone specifically on that one. Um, are we easy to work with? Are we helpful? Um, are we willing to help? Do we listen to others, or do we just kind of do our own thing because we think we know best? Are we a team player? Um, what's our work ethic, uh, our work ethic like? And what are our motivations for the reasons that we do things at work? Um, so giving our best is, yeah, as I said, it's not just giving the bare minimum. Um, I don't know about you, but I know if I ask somebody to do something for me and they come back and they've just done the very bare minimum of what I've asked, it's not always the most kind of pleasing thing, is it? You kind of, you want people to do, to do more. So if that's what we want of other people, that's what we should be expecting of ourselves as well. Um, in Proverbs 18, verse 9, it says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. So again, that's quite a kind of um, a strong way of putting it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, it says to do all for the glory of God. And in Colossians 3, verses 22 to 25, which is a very similar passage to, to this passage in Titus, because um, it's also addressing slaves, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So we need to remember that when we're doing things. We're not just doing it for our employers, for our colleagues. We're actually, everything that we do is a reflection of, of God and what we're doing for God. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so to do something to the glory of God is obviously just to glorify him, and it's not just in our words, it's in our actions. Um, a really helpful de um, definition of glorify that I read was, um, it's, if, in a context of being a Christian, it's actually to give an accurate representation of God, because that's how we glorify him, isn't it? You know, we can give 
we can speak, we can say about how great God is, but if our actions don't mirror what we're saying, then, then actually are we really glorifying him other than just in our words? And I know that, uh, well, and actually that God is not the God of just enough. Um, he is the God of more than enough. So that's what we need to be reflective of. And I do appreciate that sometimes in our workplaces, due to the demands of our employers, due to the circumstances, um, uh, we might only be able to do just enough. That's kind of, that is the reality sometimes. I know being married to somebody who works in the NHS, I know very well that sometimes it's not possible to do everything that you want to do because it's just not the time and it's not the resources. And that could be the, t- the case in any workplace. But the point is it's our attitude needs to be that, that we want to give our best. We want to do more than, more than enough, um, even when we can't physically be able to do that. Um, so I just want to talk about our motivations for why we do the things we do in our workplaces. Because um, I think, uh, if I read from Hebrews 13, it says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So I don't want um, people to think it's not wrong to be ambitious. It's not wrong to want to be successful and like, to do really well. But I guess the thing we need to think about is what our motivations are for doing that. Why are we wanting to do that? Is it because we want to have status and significance and wealth? Or is it because we actually we just want to glorify God? We want to do the best that we can, and that breeds success. Um, so, yeah, so it's not wrong to be successful, but we do need to watch our, our motivations as to why we want to be successful. Um, the last thing we want to do is to be finding our identity in our workplaces. Um, and the status that that gives us because ultimately we know that our identity is found um, through what God says about us, not through what people in our workplaces say about us. In Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, In the office that I've just recently joined, so I've been there for three weeks, they've got a poster up, which actually is about celebrating 60 years of the company being existent, in existence. But one of the things they've got on there is a little notice that says team, and underneath it it says together everyone achieves more, which I think is a really kind of positive thing. So actually together, working together, looking after each other's interests, being for each other, being encouraging each other, that's how in our workplaces we're going to achieve more. So we need to be people that are, are willing to do that. And I also think we need to be people who don't hold on to offence in the workplace. I know it's quite easy sometimes for people to, you know, say something in the heat of a moment in a meeting or to disagree with you or, you know, do something that you said you don't think is the right idea. But we need to be those who don't hold on to that offence and actually that we forgive and don't hold on to grudges and we submit to the decisions that are made in our workplaces. It's not always easy. Um, I know it's very frustrating when you can see that what something, a decision that's been made or what something's, something that's being done, you think that is just going to lead to you know, disaster. And it's very hard <laughs> to, to accept that um, and not to be kind of offended when you've suggested something different and everyone's kind of gone, no, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do it my way. But, we, but that's just the reality is that we have to be those who are willing to forgive and to move on and to not to hold grudges and still to give our best. <clears throat> so thirdly, I have to talk about Actions, this is the main point, really, is the actions that we, our actions in our workplaces have to come from an overflow of one being submitted to the authority of God and to the people in authority in our workplaces. Um, And also, it has to be the overflow of the attitude, and our attitude is only going to come from our relationship with God. So that's, we need to get that right first. We need to be in a good place in our relationships with God, and then hopefully that then overflows into how we actually behave in the workplace. 
<clears throat> our colleagues in our workplace are actually part of our inheritance. So I know there are some people who do jobs that are very central to kind of the things that they feel God has called them to. And there are other people who, like me, I would put myself in this bracket. I do my job because I need to, I need to earn a living and I need to support my family. But I still need to remember that there is a reason for me being there. It's not just a go there, money comes into my bank at the end of the month. I pay for everything that I need to and I carry on. And that's it. That's the end of it. It needs to be more than that. Um, it doesn't matter yeah, if, your, if your work is central to the calling that you feel God's had in your life or if it is just a means to an end. We still need to, to be a representation of God in our workplaces. Um, we see that in the Bible with Joseph um, being in Potiphar's house as a slave. Um, God makes him successful there and he does well um, and becomes kind of, he's the master of the house until obviously accusations brought against him and Potiphar puts him in prison. Um, and actually through being in prison, he's then put in charge of other things. Um, and um, then the baker and the cupbearer who have come from Pharaoh's household are brought into prison, put under Joseph's care, and it's through the interpretation of the cupbearer's dreams that he then becomes master of all of Egypt, basically, um, second only to Pharaoh. Um, so actually his work was central to, to kind of the calling that God had on his life, because if Joseph hadn't been in Egypt as the right hand to Pharaoh, the Israelites wouldn't have been in Egypt because Jacob comes to Egypt and is welcomed by Joseph, and then the Exodus doesn't happen. And these are all things that are so central to the whole picture of what God is doing, you know, through, through the Israelites as a foreshadowing of what he does through Jesus. But none of that happens if Joseph isn't diligent in his work and doesn't, doesn't do well in his work. Whereas Paul, we know, works as a tent maker. I don't know about you, I don't think tent making was really a big part of Paul's ministry um, as an apostle. But, you know, he knew he needed to support himself, so he went and he, he made tents. It was something he could do. He used his skills to support himself. Um, yeah, so I said, I, that's kind of where I see myself with work most of the time. Um, but I know that I'm there for a reason, and the reason is our colleagues. We're there to, and not just colleagues, but clients, um, patients, if you work in the health service, um, your, your bosses, everybody that's around you, everybody that comes into your, into your kind of contact at work can be impacted by, by God through you. So it's just important to remember that and the weight that we kind of carry in that. So in verse 9, it says that we uh, should not be people that talk back. Um, so on that, I just want to caveat that. It's okay to ask questions. Um, talking back isn't kind of, doesn't mean never saying anything and staying silent. It's fine to ask questions. I think actually if we are going to do the best and be diligent in our work, if you see something and someone says something that you think, that's, I think there's some, a way to do that better, and you don't say anything, that's not giving a good representation actually of God, is it? Because it's... Um, we're not doing the best that we can, so it's fine. But at the same time, as I said earlier, um, we don't want to be those people that kind of hold a grudge because we don't get our own way. Um, I think sometimes we can have what I'd call a self-fulfilling prophecy, whereby we say, that's not going to work, and then we do everything in our power to make sure that it doesn't work. And then it doesn't work, and then we go, well, I told you. I told you so. <laughs> I said that wouldn't work. It's not what it would have worked if you'd, done, if you'd actually kind of you know, got behind it, but... Um, and that's a hard thing to do like when, when you kind of feel like there is some, a, a better way to do something to actually then submit to a decision that you don't agree with but that's where we need to be um, and, but in, in our speech in our workplaces our words they need to bless they need to bless other people so in James, verse three, sorry, James 3 verse 10 I'm going to read from the Amplified it says out of the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing these things my brothers should not be this way for we have a moral obligation to speak in a manner that reflects our fear of God and profound respect for his precepts. Um, so our work, our, how we speak, it needs to bless others. It needs to honour the people around us as well. Um, Proverbs 
20 verse 19 speaks about gossiping and it says a gossip betrays confidence so avoid anyone who talks too much um that's an interesting verse for me because most people who know me know that i probably talk too much um although i don't find talking like this the most comfortable but yeah it's a uh, not that i gossip <laughs> i hope not anyway um but yeah but just uh yeah we can't be those people that are joining in with the office gossip or, or anything like that um, and in fact, we need to be those who stand up and actually make a stand when we do hear that happening um, and actually to defend our colleagues who aren't there to defend themselves or even if they are. Um, and then, yeah, not talking behind other people's backs. In Proverbs 17, verse 9, it says, Whoever covers an offence seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. So if there is something that has caused you an offence, you need to deal with it. That's not don't repeat it to other people it's very hard i think in a workplace sometimes you know if you come out of a meeting and someone said something and you've not agreed with it to kind of immediately go to your colleague oh, i can't believe that that person said that you know it was really irritated me and i don't think that was the right thing to do i can't believe they do it that way when we should do it this way you know those kind of things don't honor um they don't honor our colleagues they don't honor god and that's the main thing is we also need to honor god's in ephesians 5 verse 4 it says let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving and in romans 12 verse 10 it says outdo one another in showing honor so that's a challenge isn't it to outdo one another um in showing honor it's something that we can all do more of um our words should be those that encourage so in hebrews th- uh, 3 verse 13 um it's the passage about encourage one another daily as long as it's called today um, in both these parts, um, both the previous one about honour and encouraging, Paul's actually really speaking to believers, to how we speak to each other, how we speak to kind of conduct ourselves with each other. But if that is how God's expecting us to speak to each other and we want to give an accurate representation and actually make God attractive and the teachings of God attractive in our workplace, then that needs to be how we speak to non-believers as well. It's not just for ourselves. We need to be those who honour and encourage. We need to be, our words need to show love. Uh, we know from Mark 12, verse 31, that the, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's uh, something that I find it's a daily challenge for me <laughs> sometimes, is to love your neighbour as yourself. But essentially, we just need to treat other people how we would want to be treated ourselves, and not based on past experience or an, a distorted view of how we should be treated, but in light of how God treats us. Um, our words need to be those that bring life. In Proverbs 18:21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we have a choice with our words. We can, we can destroy, we can bring down, or we can bring life. Um, I don't know about you, I certainly don't want to be those, the, the person that kind of destroys other people's confidence or um, self-esteem. Um, the need to bring peace. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we need to be those that bring peace um, in our workplaces and actually find resolution to conflict, not stirring it up with, with harsh words. Um, we need to be those that bring hope. Romans 15.13 encourages us to overflow with, a hope, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone. I'm not sure that I always overflow with hope. Um, I'd like to. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, but we should be those that bring hope. You know, it can be hard in workplaces um, things can be difficult at work, people are having problems at home, all sorts of things. But we need to be those that actually bring hope into people's lives and bring life. And I think, very importantly, our words need to be timely. We need to be, from James 1 verse 9, we know we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
So we need to take time to actually listen and not just, um, not just jump in. In our home group, we're going through Matthew at the moment, and we quite often talk about how Peter kind of almost speaks without thinking quite often and gets himself into a few interesting situations and rebukes from Jesus and, and God. So it's, uh, yeah, I want to be the person that's slow to speak, um, and that's something that I need to definitely work on. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we need to be slow to speak and quick to, quick to listen to others. In Matthew 12, verse 34, it says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to watch what's actually going in. Because if our words are going to reflect God, if our words are going to honour God, then it's going to come out of our hearts. So we need to watch what we're going on. Oh, James has spoke about that a few weeks ago um, when talking about family and distractions and actually what we, what we give ourselves to, what we watch, what we listen to, what we um, indulge ourselves in will have an impact. It goes into our hearts and it comes back out again. Um, so if you find in your workplace that, or anywhere that you think actually... The way that I've been speaking is not, not honouring. Then you need to think about what's, um, what's actually going in and make sure you're spending time kind of with God, getting your, your relationship right with him and actually spending time in his word. There's that old saying, isn't it? Garbage in, garbage out. So if we put garbage in, that's what comes out again. Uh, in verse 10, it, taught, it says uh, uh, um, that we are not to steal, but to show ourselves to be entirely trustworthy. Um, I've been thinking about this quite a lot because, I don't know about you, I can't think of a time when I've deliberately stolen something from my work. Um, Physical, taken anything, you know, it does happen. But, uh, and I ask the question, there is a type of theft that UK businesses, they reckon, lose about £116.6 billion per year on average. And through another study, they think it's around 7% of profits made by businesses are lost to this type of theft. And it's not physical. So does anyone have any idea what it might be? Time. Exactly. Time. Time theft. It's a massive thing. You know, you can see from those numbers, it's a really big thing. I think particularly um, post-COVID, with the increase in homeworking, um, time theft has become quite a big thing. And it's something that I've had to really think about myself, about how... I think I was reading the, um, the staff handbook for my work, which is 39 pages long. So it was a... I work for a German company, um, so it's, <laughs> that might explain it a little bit. But, um, but yeah, 39 pages of it. And in it, it said, if you've run out of things to do, you need to ask for something else. It's something to those lines. And I was like, okay, that's... Yeah, that makes sense. But it's quite easy, isn't it? When you're at home, you kind of think, oh, it's quite quiet. I'll just, you know, it's okay. I'll do something else just for a minute. And then when I get another email, I'll deal with that. Um, So they did a survey on this. So the number one motivation for people stealing time at home was distractions, which fits in exactly with what um, James spoke about a few weeks ago. And one of the other top ones was because they'd seen other people doing it. So it was, you know, it was just a culture in their workplace. They'd seen other people, you know, skiving off a bit or whatever and thought, well, that's okay, it's all right, it's acceptable. In my, in my workplace, that's okay. But I don't think that's kind of really how God sees it. Um, and I think he wants us to be, to, to set an example, to be different, to be the ones that other people look to and actually go, oh, actually, Tim doesn't kind of sky off. He doesn't take extra long lunch breaks or, you know, look at his phone all the time. He's diligent in his work, and he's doing well. That's what I want people to see in my workplace. So the top 10 um, time theft acts for people working from home, which I thought was quite interesting, and I'm going to be very honest with you. I can hand on heart say that I've done every single one of these except for one. 
and that's through COVID, through working from home. It's not something I'm proud of, but it is. I'm going to be, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, perfect and anything that I say here doesn't apply to me. It certainly does. So the first one was washing clothes, doing the laundry. So nipping off to, to put your laundry on while you're supposed to be working. Number two was taking longer breaks. It's very easy. Like, you know, if you've got teams on your phone and that kind of stuff, you just check in. You're not back at your desk, but you go, oh, how's everyone doing? And everyone thinks you're there, you know. Um, doing your cooking, so putting the dinner on like before the end of the day so that it's ready to eat as soon as you... Or putting your lunch... The best one that I've done was putting my lunch on before my lunch break so that I could have my full hour's lunch break. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Looking at social media, watching TV... Running personal errands, so doing stuff, you know, personal stuff when you're supposed to be working. Uh, doing the cleaning. Um, I've probably done less of that. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah doing the cleaning. Uh, or actually, this is two that I haven't done, because I don't think I've ever done this. Having a bath or a shower <laughs> during your working day. Just nipping off. I'm uh, just off to have a shower. Uh, doing your food shopping, so, you know, putting your Tesco order in while you're, uh, while you're kind of supposed to be doing something else. And this is the one I definitely haven't done because I don't have the ability to do it, is playing with your pets. I don't have any pets. I've got four children. That's enough. Um, <laughs> certainly don't have time for pets. Probably wouldn't be fair to the pets to subject them to, to four young children and a lack of care because we're looking after the children. Um, but the point is, is that it says, you know, we are to show ourselves to be entirely trustworthy. Entirely trustworthy. Not just trustworthy most of the time. Not just trustworthy when we're in the office and people can see what we're doing. But entirely trustworthy. That comes down to our diligence and the integrity with which we do our work. C.S. Lewis, it's a very well-known quote, says, Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. I'm sure most people have heard that before. But I think when you're working from, particularly if you're working from home or you work alone, um, away from other people, doing the right thing when no one is watching has become that much more important because most of the time nobody's watching. Um, James has spoken about it and Werner in previous preachers is that we need, to be above our, we need to be above reproach in our actions. So we need to have no hint of accusation. So that comes down to that, really. In Matthew 5 and James 5, it says, let your yes be yes. So if we say we're going to do something, then we need to do it. And we need to do it in a timely manner as well. That comes back to giving our best. So if, you've said, if your boss has asked you to do something and you've said, yes, I'm going to do it, then you need to do it. It's um, very easy, I know, from not having uh, the right structures in place for myself to make sure that I'm organised to forget to do stuff. It's not necessarily because I've decided I'm not going to do it. Sometimes it's because you go, oh, I don't really want to do that, so these other things that I can do, I'm going to do those first, <clears throat> and then I'll get to that at some point, and then it just stays at the bottom of the list. But if you said you're going to do it, then we need to do it. I think also the other thing that we need to do is we need to see growth in our workplaces. So that comes to... Um, the power, like talking about the power of the talents and actually investing in the things that God's given us. So if we've got skills and abilities that we use in our workplace, then we need to invest in them. I think some workplaces are very supportive in that, in terms of um, you know, providing training or giving you the ability to go and do kind of training externally. Not everyone gets to do that, but actually we need to actually still invest in, in what we're doing actually to keep trying to improve our, our skills and abilities. That's just being responsible with the things that God's given us. Um, and it's going to lead to us being more fruitful in our workplace, <coughs> which, again, comes back to doing our best to please our employers. If we want to do that, then we need to invest in our talents so we can actually see growth and see fruitfulness and to use it to be a blessing and to do all we can to do to make our work successful. So to be a blessing to our colleagues, to be a blessing to our employers, the clients that we work with, we want to do the best by them. And the, the, the best way we can do that is to continually try to improve. 
Lastly, I just wanted to talk briefly about work-life balance. I don't want to go too much into this because I know James covered it a lot with um, the preach about kind of distraction and family life. Um, somebody who shall remain nameless asked me one question when I said that I was changing jobs or thinking about changing jobs. They, they were interested in what the new job was, what it was going to be, but the main thing they wanted to know was how will your new job impact your ability to do the things that God has called you to? And that was the key thing. And I was like, I hadn't really thought about that because I just kind of looked at the job and thought, oh, it's a bit closer, that would be nice, shorter commute. Um, you know, the, the package is good. Um, seems like a good job. It would be a new challenge. That all seems nice for me. But it was a really challenging question that that person asked, was to say, you know, how is this going to impact your ability to do the things that God's called you to do? And for me, it was quite a straightforward answer because it was closer. I meant I was going to have more free time. It meant that I was going to, have, I was going to be able to leave for work earlier. I was going to get home earlier. It's actually going to build more margin into my day. Um, and the job, while it is a more senior role than I've done before, the actual responsibilities don't mean that I'm, I'm, there's no expectation for me to kind of necessarily stay till 7 o'clock every night after I've finished work at half five to do everything. It's, um, you know, I know that is the culture in some workplaces, and that's something that kind of you need to, we need to be aware of and the impact that that has. Um, but we need to have a healthy work-life balance, because I think being diligent in our work and doing the best is part of giving an accurate representation of God, but actually... Another way that we give an accurate representation of God and our relationship with him is how we balance work and life because we give all of our time to life, to work, and our home life is a mess and we're not doing the things God has asked us to do. That doesn't speak to kind of a, a healthy relationship with God. And conversely, if we give all of our life to all of our time to home life and, you know, we become... Um, and I was thinking about this as I was making some notes at midnight before I was supposed to go to work the next day and then I was like, oh, hang on, not definitely not practicing what I'm planning to preach on this because I was going to work the next day and I knew well, if I don't go to bed till after midnight I'm probably going to be tired and if I'm tired I'm probably not going to do the best my best because I'm going to be yawning <laughs> not hopefully not falling asleep at my desk there has been times when we the children were very young that that was <laughs> that was certainly a possibility that I was going to be doing that but yeah so if we're not actually organizing our home life correctly if we're not you know, putting things in the right priority orders and we're not doing, um, you know, it can be, there's lots of things that I would like to do, lots of things that are fun, but actually sometimes we have to say no to that because we know that it's going to impact on our ability to do our jobs and actually our ability to do the things that God's asked us to do as well. Um, so if we prioritise work, then that doesn't really speak to, to kind of having a good work-life balance and actually a representation of, of our relationship with God and the same the other way around. And actually, if you've got a workplace culture around hours of work where there is an expectation that people do more hours than you're contracted to do, you could look at it in the same way that a lot of people steal time from their work. Really, that's the, your work stealing time from you and from God and from your life, from your home life. So it is, there's no right or wrong way to do that, so I'm not kind of going to tell anybody that they shouldn't work more hours in the week than they're expected to, but it is something that you need to be aware of. We need to be aware of how our work is impacting our ability to do the things that God has asked us to do and where our priorities are. <clears throat> so there's no formula for that, for that, for working patterns. I know there are people that shift work, there are people that do weekends, they do flexible hours, part-time, condensed hours, unsociable hours, they work when they want to, they choose when they want to work. So there's no right or wrong about that. The thing that you need to work out is how does your work and life balance, how does that actually um, impact on the things that God's asked you to do? Is it pulling you away from, from work or is it actually building the margin into your life and helping you to achieve the things that God is asking you, of you? And I think that's a really key thing to think about. Something that I, yeah, as I said, when that person asked me that question, it was something that kind of I had to think, actually, before I make this decision and before I commit to it, what impact is this going to have on the things that I feel God has asked me to do?
and how's it going to impact on my family because I, I have a responsibility. As I said, I've got four kids. That's, uh, most of you know that. You'll have seen them. If you haven't seen them, you'll have heard them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I have that responsibility. So it's something I had to think about a lot. And also, we need to build Ruston. We have to build Ruston. You know, in Mark 2.27, we know that God created the Sabbath for man. So we didn't, kind of, God has created space for us to rest. He actually kind of wants us to rest. He wants us to take time aside, to spend time in his presence and to rest. And all of that is to make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive in every way. So I've just got a few questions um, that I was going to ask just to think about after this. Is Number one, am I submitting to the authority in my workplace? Am I somebody that is willing to do that? Number two, does my attitude in my workplace reflect God? Am I being an accurate representation of God in my workplace? Question number three was, does my work and my attitude honour God and my employer and my colleagues? And number four was to just have a look. Is my work-life balance healthy? And if it's not, if you decide it isn't, what changes do you need to make? How do you need to adjust things? I'm not saying that everyone needs to kind of quit their jobs and get a different job, but I know people in the past who've had to go back to their employer and say, this doesn't work for me, and so I need to change. And there has been consequences to that, but that's, they felt that was the right thing to do, you know? And that's sometimes a hard thing to do, but it's something to think about. And then the last thing I wanted to do was just to encourage all of us um, to pray for our work, to pray for our workplace. It's not just for ourselves. I quite often find myself praying that I'd have a good day, that things would go well, I'd make good decisions, it would be a nice, you know, easy day, there wouldn't be too much stress. And I forget to pray about everybody else in my workplace. Um, there's, on, on an average day, there's probably 10 or more people in my office. There's 55 across the whole company. So there's people I can pray for that aren't in my office. But I see kind of nine or ten people every day. And what am I doing? Am I spending time praying for them? Am I spending time praying for the people around me? And not just for their kind of home lives, for, for that they get, you know, obviously I pray that I'd be able to have opportunity to speak to them, to, to share my faith with them, to, you know, um, to actually reveal God to them. But also just on a day-to-day basis that we'd make good decisions in our workplaces, that people, that things would go well. That, and not just for myself, but for everybody, that we'd be successful and that it would be a, a, you know, a place of growth and, and life. Um, and, yeah, and also yeah, just to pray that we would be a good witness and an accurate representation of God in our workplaces. Because, uh, as I said, the main point is we want to make God attractive in every way. So that's not, that's not kind of presenting God in a way that you think people, is, people are going to be accepting of and that are going to kind of... They're going to go, wow, that's really exciting because I've twisted something and made it sound something that it's not. But it's actually just being that accurate representation of God in our workplaces and because God doesn't need, to, doesn't need us to advertise him. He just needs us to be the right representation and he'll do the, do the rest. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's really good. Thanks, Tim. I think just as Tim said, those principles can be applied to School life, university life, work life, church life, everything to do with your life. And uh, it's not just one aspect, but it's everything. And that the example is that we would make the teaching about Jesus attractive. I think what Tim ended off in the end there saying about praying for your work, I think, again, that works for everything. But if you just go back to the example he used of Joseph, where wherever Joseph was, God blessed. Because Joseph was there, because God was blessing Joseph. And so no matter what your work situation is, as Tim said, even if it's just a tent making or if it's intrinsically part of your call, 
you're there because of the people and God needs to reach the people and so thank you Tim really really challenging but I'd like you to just pray for everybody before you go so um, I think it was really good really intelligent challenging some really good things for us to go home wrestle with and say God show me where I need to make adjustments but also God show me where I'm doing well that I can do even better so that we can encourage and encourage one another and I think uh, as Tim was saying as well about being those who encourage when you see colleagues doing things that are good and praiseworthy and admirable Encourage them by speaking to them and telling them that. Or write a note or something. But we're the ones who to be the salt and light that transform our workspaces. And I think as we put in practice the things that Tim said, we'll see that happen. Do you pray? Yeah. Father, I thank you that you have given us um, the gift of work, Lord. I thank you that you do make ways for us to, to provide for ourselves, Lord. I just, yeah, thank you that we are able to do that, Father. I just pray that for each of us, Lord, whether it's in, in the workplace, in the school, the school place, at university, um, in any walk of life, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be those that would bring life um, into our workplace, bring your life into, into those places, Father. I pray that you would help us just to encourage one another, to encourage our, our colleagues and the people that are around us, Lord, that we would yeah, be the salt and light in, in those places, Lord. I pray that we would be those that would invest in the skills that you have given us, Lord, that we would see growth because we are diligent with the things that you have have given to us Lord that we shepherd those things well Lord um, and that you would go with us Father and that we yeah would be the accurate representation of you wherever we go in Jesus name Amen Wonderful